Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Marjorie, before we get into today's topic, which I'm very much looking forward to talking about, I just have to tell you that I didn't even tell you this before we started recording because I wanted to tell you when we're recording that the response that I've gotten to last week's conversation with Kendall Mark uh, from Fox 9 has been really just again, overwhelming and wonderful. I really want to thank everybody who listened to the episode and who is piping in on social media. I've gotten a lot of messages on my Facebook and on my Instagram and um, people who just really appreciated the conversation. And I have to once again, thank Kendall because, you know, that it, it takes a lot of courage to be that vulnerable and to share things about your life and your body and the world's perception of that body, things that you've, you've been struggling with in terms of shame and trying to manage and trying to figure out how you feel about it. And then putting that out there, she was just so courageous. And I heard from a friend who told me, she said, I listened to that episode. I was crying in the car and she said, and it just brought up so many things for me that I didn't know it was going to bring up. And then I had another person who I met just this week who told me that she is listening to the podcast out on walks, but now she doesn't know if she can do that because then she cries and then people think she's crying on her walks. And so I said, I'm going to give this feedback to my co-host and say that we need to, we do need to incorporate some more laughter. That's right. Well, I, I too want to thank Kendall because I thought she had some really remarkable and very personal points about what it means to be body shamed. But the conversation also talked about the early sexualization of girls and the objectification of girls. And all of this is, for all of us that are parents is important. Um, what we say to other people is important. You just don't know where somebody is. And I, the one thing that runs through my head from that podcast is at one point, Kendall said, you know, unless you're my mother, or you're somebody that has a real stake in my well-being, don't say anything. We don't need to talk about my body, yeah. And I, I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, she's obviously has a higher profile in the Twin Cities, but I think that's true when you're looking at most teenagers, not just teenage girls, is you really do have to be very careful about what you say to to kids because they take it in they're sponges and they take it in and then it, it, you know, it just, it lives in them from then on. And I know this, I had sons who both had some body image issues and um, people would be surprised at the things that stuck in their heads that were really unhealthy. And I know those people meant no harm. Mm -hmm. I know they meant no harm, but you just have to really be careful. And I know a lot of people think like we're making kids too soft or they're, we're being too sensitive about, but this is an easy one just to back away from. Yeah. You don't need to comment on their appearance. You don't need to comment on their weight one way or another. 
Right. No, I think you're totally right. And I think what was really telling to me was sometimes it can be easy to sort of dismiss a story like Kendall's or dismiss a story Mm -hmm. like mine when you say, oh, well, that person's in the public eye. Well, listen, you put yourself out there and then you've got to develop a a thick skin if you want to be in television. Okay, maybe that's all fair and good. But the reality was that the majority of the um, pain that she has felt and the majority of the shame that she has felt wasn't caused by things that happened when she was on television. It was way before that. You know right. what I mean? Which had right. nothing That's to really do with her point. being on television. It had absolutely nothing to do with her being a public eye. It had to do with her being a human being in a human being body. Right. That is it. And so when I originally posted about this, I wrote that she was she was humiliated for being a human being in a body. And right. that is where right. we, that's where you can fundamentally go. This is what has to stop that you are a human being in a body. And, um, and, you know, I've been just, I, I'm kind of, you know, me going off the deep end in my wellness woo woo, but um, I've been really researching a lot about Um, the energy and emotions that are stored in the cells of our bodies and how, I mean, our bodies are just so miraculous and everything around us is made up of energy. And so as I've just been kind of learning about this and talking to experts and reading some books, and I I think we'll have to do a future podcast, Marjorie, because I'm getting kind of obsessed with this and so intrigued, but our thoughts and our intentions and the messages from other people, this is not just stuff that is like, oh, it goes in your brain and then it's out. Our brain is connected to our full body. Like this stuff is internalized within our body. I mean, emotions are stored within our bodies. Physical pain is often a manifestation of the emotional pain that we are feeling. That is, that is just fundamentally true. And so it's gotten me thinking so much about just how emotion it's, it's, you know, that whole sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can never hurt me is the biggest load of bull crapola that I've ever heard because it really impacts your, your physical well-being too. How many of us know anxious parents who have anxious child? Oh have, gosh, have yeah. anxious children. Yes. I mean, we know that what we say, how we act, all of the things that we do around our own children affect who our children will become. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. I mean, you just look at any family and every family has sort of a has sort of a um I don't want to say a karma, what would be the right word? Has a like an energy. Yeah. Every family has its own energy. It's like a vibe, right? A vibe. Vibe's the better word. And so you have to protect. I mean, that's really sort of, again, the core of best of the nest is don't you want to protect the vibe? Don't you want to make sure that your family's the kind of family that people walk away going like, I like being around them. There's simply wonderful going on in that family. But it actually, what you're saying leads us to our discussion today. It's like we're professionals at segues. (laughs) We are. I saw this article in Oprah Daily, and the headline was, Happiness and Success are the Wrong Goals for Your Kids. Mm. And this goes back to words, Elizabeth. And I just want to give the the writer credit. Her name is Shafali uh, Zarberry. She's a PhD. And I'm just going to read the first two paragraphs because it's going to launch what we're going to talk about. She said, ask any parent what their greatest wish for their kid, and they will reflexively say, I want my kid to be happy and successful. We don't even think through the deeper meaning of our reply. We act as if happiness and success are the holy grails of parenting. But chasing these two goals is actually the primary cause for stress and conflict in parenting, because the idea of wanting anything for anyone else is highly problematic. Wishing people well is one thing, but wanting them to be something specific is controlling. 
Imagine that you're working toward a graduate degree and struggling with it, and a friend comes up to you, and instead of understanding what you're going through, they say, I can't believe you're not happy. I want you to be happy. Stop being sad. Or why aren't you getting A's? Why are you doing so badly? This is unacceptable. How would that feel? You would surely shut yourself off from her and shut down, wouldn't you? Well, this is precisely how we behave with our kids. So attached are we to wanting them to be happy and successful that we make them feel unworthy when they are not. And I that think that is good. Well, Boy, Shafali, you are really in it with the words. Those are some powerful statements that I want to like, you know, when I think I want to print that out on some sort of art print or a <laughs> notepad or like a mug, then, you know, it's, it's like words well, I want to remember. It's for parents of toddlers, you won't quite feel this yet. When you feel the happy success words is when your kids are in high school, when your kids start getting grades that society says matter. And, and that becomes a real, the chatter around your kids' success so easily be, can become how you feel about your own parenting. Now, what are you mm -hmm. experiencing now? Because Bernie's how old? Well, Bernie's eight. She's in second grade. And we, you know, the school that, that she's at is pretty, um, even when they send out, like they have to do certain kind of testing. And yeah. even when they send it out, they're like, okay, let's put this into context. Here's why right. it, this isn't really that big of a deal, you know? And I've had conversations with her teachers about that too. And I don't, you know, Jay and I just talked the other day and I said, what do you think if one of our kids said, like, I don't want to go to college. I don't, and both, and both Jay right. and I went to a four-year university. Okay. Right. So we both went to the great university of Wisconsin, <laughs> Madison. And Jay went for two years there and then transferred to St. Cloud for two years. But Jay was a hockey player. His right. whole thing was hockey. hockey. He went to college to play hockey. He did not pay for college because he played hockey. And it set him up to then play professional hockey, which he played until he was 28. And then he needed to get an actual, I mean, that was a job, but he needed yeah. to get a job, you know, yeah. like get a, a grown-up job that you don't age out of at 30 something. Right. And then he did that. And so we all we always look, we look at college as, or whatever you do after school as just sort of a vehicle of learning and growing as a human being. And so I said to Jay, I was like, well, what do you think if, if one of the kids was like, well, we don't want to go to college. We want to get a two-year degree and become an electrician or do whatever. And Jay was like a hundred percent. And I right. just like asked him the question almost as like a test to just make sure, Hey, are we still on the same page about right. this? We just want our children to have I want them to be able to recognize their gifts and be able to then find ways to apply that in order to support themselves and their families. That's it. Right. That's the, that's the deal. And that, I think that's the ideal. And what becomes harder as your kids grow older yeah. is when society starts to seep in on that. I know. On that. Because I know. That's, and we're that's, just not there. No, no. And, but I think that that's, that's why this is articles a good reminder because mm -hmm. The conversation you're having with Jay is the most important conversation. Mm -hmm. What do you what do you want for our children? Right. Are we on the same page about what we are mm -hmm. what we want for our children? If our child starts to fail in high school, what are we going to do about that? What is the pressure that we're going to put on them to be? Do we care if they're top of their class? Do we right. care if they're in the middle of their class? Right. What are we going to do when our child says, I want to be an electrician? And all of our friends' children are all going off to four-year colleges, and we can feel the judgment of our friends for not pushing our child 
to go to college. By Even the way, though our child is going to make three times the amount of yeah. money that your child is going to make. And by the way, I've renovated job. so many houses. Electricians <laughs> are my favorite people oh my because God. they are like the smartest people. So, I mean, but the pressure comes from yeah. societal expectation and perhaps the friends around you and then the kids' friends. Mm-hmm. And so I think the fact that you're having the conversation with Jay is really important that you're always sort of looking toward what is our what is our family value in terms of what we want for our kids? And as this article says, it shouldn't be happiness and success. And I no. think of the two words, in a lot of ways, success is the more dangerous one. Oh, see, I went the opposite. Tell me about I that. I thought you were going to say happiness because I went the opposite. Interesting, Marjorie. So tell me why you think happiness is the more dangerous or well, do you not know- I- I think happiness is the most dangerous. I think Tell me do, about that. I think being on a search for happiness and thinking that happiness is the end all be all goal for your life is an absolute farce and a total recipe for unfulfillment, right. for misery and for a shallow sad existence. I I don't even think I don't think at all about what makes me happy because I just I happiness is like Oh, that flower showed up and it's beautiful. That's like a little bit of happiness. It's Whatever. a momentary state. It's a fleeting. It's so fleeting. Yeah. It's like a quick thing that's sort of like, oh, it was like a little sprinkle or like, oh, da, 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 da. you know, I look at the ideal for me is much more about fulfillment, contentment, mm-hmm. being present, finding peace, all of those things so much more over the happy. The happy to me is like, a, it's like something that you're constantly chasing. It's like a buzz and a buzz is fun. She can't be buzzed all the time. What are you going to do, Marjorie? <laughs> well, I think everything that you just said about happy pertains to success. Interesting. It's a chase. It's a chase. And I think anything that's a chase is a dangerous way to live because mm-hmm. it means you can never sort of just be good with where you are in any moment. And I had a, I had a friend that was asking me this weekend, he was saying, cause I've moved a lot. Yeah. And he said, he was just asking me about that. He was like, how, how do you do that? Basically, how are you able to adapt to that? And I think it's because my resting place for the most part about who I am and what I've done is I'm good. It's not like these, you know, high, high highs and these low, low lows. I'm sort of, I'm good. And mm-hmm. I don't, I wouldn't say that I've always been happy, but I can find my way to par, if that makes sense. I mean, I can find my way to what I need in any place that I am. And I think that that's a tool that's really essential for children yeah. because that's attainable. That's, I think, fairly healthy. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're always looking for, you know, a job that's going to define you or money that's going to define you, or that a car that's going to define you. And I mean, those things are always attainable, but then what? You know, It's fleeting. It's so fleeting. You're exactly right. And so when you said it's a chase, you know what I thought of, Marjorie, is it's happiness and success are a chase versus finding maybe contentment or fulfillment, which I feel is more of a practice. And yeah, I, I think that. That's being, good. being focused more on the practice immediately is going to bring you back more to the present. 
So yeah. this is what I'm, and, and just by definition, looking, looking for a chase is look, I'm, I'm trying to get the thing. I'm going right. into the future to get the thing. I'm constantly fo- right. how, looking at the past of how did I not get the thing? And then like, how am I going to get the thing? And none of that has anything to do with what you're doing in that exact moment. Right. But a practice is about being in that exact moment. And this is why, you know, when I think about like, we've talked about on the podcast, like gardening, or you talk about walking, or we talk about yoga, or those things that bring you back to the present, that are part of that practice that that you find yourself most content in. Those are the things that you can seek out and that you can look to amplify in your life. And I think about that with my job too. Like when I'm on Twin Cities Live, I am not thinking about anything else other than the show in that moment. Right, it is right. it is really like almost a moving meditation for me. And I consider right. that such a great gift. And I full well understand that that's not going to last forever. Um, but so far, so good. And I um, and I've always felt that way about it. And I think if you can find that in your work, regardless of what your work is, if you can find that 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 your daily task is a practice that keeps you in the present, no matter what it is, that's how you can find the fulfillment. And and then that should be the definition of success right there. Right. I just I just think I always think back to there was a story about Matt Damon and he was talking about winning an Oscar in his young 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they they won for best screenplay, I think. For Goodwill Hunting. For Goodwill Hunting, he and Ben Affleck and he said that he's so grateful for that, not because necessarily, I mean, obviously he's grateful that he has an Oscar, but he said he was so grateful to have won it so young because he knows himself that he would have been chasing it mm-hmm. his whole life. And to have won it so young, he essentially kind of said it felt kind of hollow. Like it wasn't, like it was like, oh, I did that. Yeah. And he said that would have been a horror, like it was great and he's grateful but he said it would have been a really strange feeling to be in your 50s having chased that all those years in Hollywood. And then you have that moment and it was like, oh, OK, that's done. Yeah. And I mean, I, I I understand that feeling as well. It's like I'm grateful for the things that came early to me so that I could feel like, OK, I understand that a little bit. Nothing like an Oscar. But my son was the same way. My son went to L.A. very young. He went at mm-hmm. like 22. He was out in L.A., he was working for one of the studios and sort of looked around and thought, uh-oh, this isn't this isn't what I, I want, which is a great thing to demystify Hollywood at 24. Mm-hmm. Instead of working your way up through all of these different companies to get to L.A., he got to demystify it. But I think all of this is, a, is about being present and definitions of who you are and who you want to be. And as I say all of this, I have to qualify it by all of this is a process. And so it's not like my life has been, you know, just this easy path. It has taken work to get comfortable where I am. Mm -hmm. But I think that's when I was reading this article, those are the tools that you should give your kids, not the push toward, you know, be successful or are you happy and pushing toward that. It's more like you said, of giving them the tools to be present where they are and to find their place in that presence, mm-hmm. which I think is really hard to do as a parent. And I'll be interested if we're still doing this podcast when your kids get into high school, that's where the societal, you start to feel society coming in on your family and what your yeah. family values. Mm-hmm. 
I no, I I agree with you on that. The, I wonder what you think about this, the kindness element, because I find that a lot of my friends or kind of people in my circle, like it's almost like you you're embarrassed, you know it's like not appropriate at this point to be like, oh, I just want my kids to be successful. I want them to be at the top of the class. Like that kind of pressure that's more of like a sneaky thing nowadays. You know, like, I feel like maybe when you were raising your kids, it was more outward to say that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. or to be that way. Now it's more of like an underlying thing. Like I want to be a little bit more enlightened than that. I went through therapy. And so it's like more of a sneaky thing, but the kindness deal is real. Like I know a lot of people who will be like, oh, I don't, you know, we don't put pressure on them to be successful. We're not putting pressure on them to have the grades. We just want them to be really kind. And I'm thinking like, I don't think that kindness is the number one thing either. Like I, I am like, you know, and I just, I went through this recently with, um, with my daughter and with sort of navigating like girlfriends in school. And there was an, right. an, a situation that we were kind of navigating with. And then I ended up navigating it with another parent. And, and so it got me thinking a lot about this where it was difficult in that moment for me to hear that my child hadn't behaved the best. She hadn't been the kindest in this particular moment. It didn't feel great, Marjorie, to hear that. But at the same time, when I looked a couple steps deeper, she was, I believe she was reacting to, to some other people, not listening, not hearing the boundary that she was trying to set. So she wasn't necessarily able to really articulate the boundary. She was trying to set it. These, this other child was, is sort of infringing on that. And then, and then my child bit back because you're not respecting my boundary. Right. I was able to have a really super productive conversation with the mother about the, the mother of the other child about this. That was like so wonderful. And I mean, it was just such a learning moment, but, um, but I don't necessarily like, I don't think that she has to be kind all the time. I don't think I don't, especially with a girl, like, I don't necessarily want it to always be that you have to always be kind. We have to always be kind. Like I want her to be firm. I want her to stand strong in who she is. Right. I want her to know who she is. I I don't want her to ever humiliate another person or try to destroy another person. But at the same time, I want her to hold boundaries and not bend over to her. Someone else's, the idea of someone else being uncomfortable should not come at the cost of your comfort and your boundary is how I feel about it. Right. And I think that's actually a really, particularly these days, that's a really advanced discussion on communication. Because I'm firm and my firmness hurt you. And I'm not speaking of Bernie anymore. But I know, this, I know. This, yeah. goes in, this goes into that because yeah. I'm being very firm about what I need and what I want. You are receiving it as unkind or pushy or whatever. Does that necessarily mean that that's what I was doing? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. I mean, I used to have to navigate this all the time when I was producing in Arizona because I was working with students. I'm very much, when I'm in the zone, I am in the zone. I know the zone. It's on my face. It's, and, you know, especially if there's a lot of pressure and there's like, like everybody's got to do their jobs or this isn't going to work. I mean, I used to, I used to produce an antiques roadshow like show, which meant 
And I was the only full-time staff on that show. Everybody else was sort of plucked to be on the team. And then a large part of my team was made up of volunteers. So it was a very complicated structure. I certainly did not do it alone, but the buck really stopped with me. Yeah. And over that weekend, I would fly in eight appraisers from around the country. 1,500 people would pass through our studios in a weekend with their junk. I mean, they're coming oh, with stuff. Man. This is so much work. And they're mostly older. So I have to make sure that I'm not getting people stuck in lines. That you know, So I'm managing 1,500 people on top of basically six sets, six or seven different sets. And in that weekend, I have to get 142 different segments to make a 13-episode series. I have one shot at it. One week. Also, just I just want to clearly say that you were not paid enough. I don't know what you were getting paid, but you were not <laughs> paid enough to do that. That is so much it, work. It was so much work. And so I go into game face, but I'm also working with students. So you've got to make sure that I and I wouldn't want to, but that you're not yelling at anybody. <laughs> but my tone, you know, your tone can get Tony. <laughs> it may get sharp. And so, oh my gosh, I'm going to use that on Jay. You're getting Tony. This tone is Tony. But hey. I, had, I had to learn that I had to learn, I think, exactly what you're talking about teaching Bernie, which is she still has agency. Yeah. She still has the right to set a boundary. She still has a right to be firm and to talk about what she needs or wants. And now I had to learn this, you know, you have to learn that you have to be very careful with your tone, but that, but that doesn't mean that you always can be kind. Cause I will tell you on that one weekend, if you asked most of the people that were there, that were in like the next tier positions that, that I really needed to perform. Mm -hmm. If they said, if you said to them, was Marjorie kind <laughs> that weekend? I don't think they would say yes. That wouldn't be the word that they would use to describe me. Would they, you know, if you said, was she intense? Yes. She yeah. was intense. efficient, driven, like goal oriented. Yeah. yeah. Kind right. wouldn't have been the word, but so, you know, it, yeah. And you can't be in every situation. Like yeah. I have learned so much too about, um, with my twin cities, live co-host Ben Lieber, who played professional football for 10 years. I mean, the stories that he tells me about like what the coaches and other players would say to him, I mean, like nothing phases him now. I mean, any right. bit of feedback, like he's just oh, never, right. he's right. just never like, I don't know, because he looks back and he's like, it was so intense. Right. Everything was so big. It was so much money. It was so many egos. It was so yeah. much this that yeah. like, I can't even, I couldn't be, I, I, I can't be like hurt or traumatized by that, you know? And it's not to say that we want like these sort of abusive relationships, but no. I, I look back at, some certain times in newsrooms and I'm like that was not nice how I was treated and I was yeah. really terrified of my assignment manager and he would hang up the phone on me and blah 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 you know and I right. think like that was really difficult but I think the pendulum has swung a little bit far and I I have a theory about this okay yeah. so I have a theory about this that did you know that the movie Jerry Maguire came out in 1996 and the line, you complete me, was just so everywhere ubiquitous. I mean, yeah. it was everywhere. It was the description. And for somebody, so I was 16 in 1996 or 15. For someone who was in like their formative years of mm -hmm. figuring out what a relationship is, 
to have you complete me be the number one line and sort of the like the accepted version of what an ideal relationship should be that's super damaging like that is really damaging it is not great I think it like led to a lot of bad relationships bad relationships I don't want to blame a movie it's just a movie but I'm just saying like the way that it culturally blew up and resonated I think did not have great consequences right I think that now we are in a, a phase where Young people don't think that about a relationship. They think it about their job. They think that their job should complete them. And they think that it, that these really like young 20 somethings, it is like, well, of course I am so valued for these special gifts that I have. I have been told how valuable I am and how special I am that my job is the thing that should fulfill me. And at some points in life, like, if you get a job that really fulfills you, I think that's super great, but a job is a job. Like, are they paying you? Do you, do you work in, like, are you not exposed to toxic waste? (laughs) This is good. (laughs) Yeah. Your life is good. If that's the path. Well, I think there's a certain element of truth to that, which goes back again to these two words, happy and success. Yes. Your job should not be how you define your success. And I don't think you should seek happiness in your job. Oh, I mean, ding, 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 ding. That was good. Yeah, I just don't think so. And and to your friends, I have to say this. And I think all your friends who I don't know are very sweet. And I give, you know, I respect women raising children. But I, this thing about we don't care about our kids' grades. We don't care about anything. We just want our child to be kind. Kind, yeah. Sort of when the kids get to high school. And the parents are looking down the road if they really want their kids to be self-sufficient and they don't want their kids to be needing them the rest of their life financially, Mm, that goes out the window. You know, it really will. I mean, and that's the thing. That's where it's sort of naive to say, you know, that's all I care about is that they're kind. And I say that about my, my boys. I mean, my men now, but that I wanted them to be good. And that was true, but it didn't come to the exclusion of other things. I wanted them to be good ethical, but I wanted them to be able to stand on their own two feet. I wanted Mm. them to be self-sufficient. I wanted them to be adults. And I think those were the things that I, I was really hoping would happen for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the success, the success piece, um, I will say that the, the grade thing, even though obviously when I just talked about the kids school, they still had to have a level of success within that school in order to get into college. And that was, college was very important to me. And I look back and I think the way that you were talking about, if we take a full circle back, the way you were talking about the conversation that you were having with Jay Mm -hmm. is really, really healthy. And I think that the challenge for you two will be to continue to have that conversation, to mean it. And then when the time is right, to be able to fold your child into that conversation as well. Mm -hmm. And to really live up to that, what you ex- what your expectation is from your children. Yeah. And it just gets harder. It just gets harder as they get older to really feel that. But Right, right. I think you it is it's to always critically look at what your what your idea of success is and clearly look at you know what does that mean to you? What what is the expectation and how can we separate ourselves a little bit from success right. um right. is really important. I mean, independence 
I would go like independence and, and contentment. I don't know. I, I am like deeply afraid of drugs. So I think like, you know, I just, that's like the, the thing that I worry about. I just want to raise people who don't search for external things to self-medicate the internal. I think that that is where I'm at with the goal because I, I see that path as being so difficult and whatever it is, if you're searching for the job to define you or the relationship or the car, or you're searching for relief with a quick hit of pot or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I'm not opposed to nice cars. I'm not opposed to people doing pot. I'm not opposed to any of these things. What I am opposed to is the idea of doing those things in order to fill some sort of internal void, looking constantly to the external to try to, to try to placate the, uh, the dissatisfaction, the unsettled feeling that you have internally. That is what I don't want for my children, because then I don't think, I don't think you can find contentment. And it is that life of, of the chase. And regardless of what you're chasing, I don't think that that is, um, that's just, I don't think fundamentally as humans, that that's where we, where we find a joyful life. Well, I think you, you just sort of hit it is, is that unsettled feeling. And so whether it's happiness or success, or you could, you could choose 20 other words that are words that, 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 that shouldn't, or things that shouldn't be chased. And I think all of those things also, you want to make sure, and I know I was afraid of it too, but I think the pressures, I think the generation that's coming up is going to be, I think it's very difficult to grow up whole with all of the things that surround the young children that are coming up now. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to look back in 50 years and social media, we're going to think, what the hell were we doing? Yeah. How did we possibly think that this could be good for children? Mm -hmm. Why were we so loose in our, or video games? I feel the same way about video games, but I felt that way when my kids were coming up. I know. know. Um, And so between that and then, and then the drugs that are available to these kids, which just weren't available in the same way to me when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. I mean, pot was like, oh my God. Like that was like, and you think about the the range of opioids amongst all the other drugs that are available to kids, pretty accessible to those kids now. I mean, I was talking to a high schooler in a different city, so I'm not outing anybody. Um, cocaine is the norm in high school. I, I was shocked. I don't know what I was Yikes. thinking. I, I don't know what I was thinking, that that somehow kids were still... Up until the age 18, nothing bad was coming their way. Isn't cocaine like an 80s thing? I mean, I don't know. Apparently not. Apparently not. Isn't that shocking? You know me. I'm afraid of an Advil. I mean, I won't do anything. (laughs) The whole time when my ankle was broken and they were like, we're going to give you some propofol. I was like, oh, God, that's what killed Michael Jackson. (laughs) I mean, I got fentanyl one time when I was giving birth and I was like, that's what killed Prince. This is like my life. This is what I was thinking. I still am like, oh man. I mean, no, I get so stressed out about, about any of that stuff, but you're but right. I mean, scary. They are scary. and I think though, like, I, I think if you, if you take a more holistic view and instead of looking in like, and I'm guilty of this too, because I, you know, I'm afraid of artificial colors and high fructose corn syrup. I mean, there's many things that worry me um, in life, but if I, if I'm trying to 
to give my children a more holistic view instead of obsessively demonizing the things that we don't want them to do or glorifying the things that we think are going to make them successful. Those are all external things. If we really focus on that internal sense of feeling settled and, um, and that's what a lot of people get from faith. You know, I mean, faith yeah. is, and and I I don't think that organized religion is for everyone. And I am a pastor's kid speaking from this, but at its core, a relationship with yourself and with the understanding that it, there is something bigger out there than you, I think can be very beneficial in whatever avenue you find that, in whatever practice you find that. 100%. Um, there, we have sort of lost, thought of of faith as just being like this throwaway thing. And, and that's what we are, we're, I think we're kind of ending up missing that a little bit. And, and, you know, some of that's to the fault of organized religion, because frankly, they've messed up in a lot of ways, you know? Well, they kind of blew it. I mean, I grew up Catholic, kind of blew it. They kind of blew it. But at the same time, I grew up Catholic and had a very strong sense of my religion, which helped me through my teenage years. Mm-hmm, I know. And so I do think that that, 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 how do you replace that? Where do you find that? Where do you look for that for your children? And I too, I would not, you know, I don't, I'm not going to take any great stand on organized religion, but I do mm-hmm. know how it benefited me. Right. And I wish that for other children, other teenagers who might need that guiding hand that's larger than the guiding hand of your parents. Mm -hmm. And it was helpful to me, but I don't know. Again, maybe a little circular on this podcast today, but- We're walking in all sorts of circles. There's one circle to another one, but there are lots of things that could be printed on mugs. And, you know, we're always looking for merch (laughs) opportunities. So I think like- that's pretty much what um what I wanted to accomplish today was just some mug sayings, maybe like the cover of some sort of journal. Um, that's right. And, and so we didn't cry. Good. So hopefully no. that nice woman that's crying while she's walking today, there are a couple of laughs. Her name is Michelle, by the way. I'll Michelle. out her because um and she laughing. is going. We're going to have her as a guest on the podcast because she just came Fantastic. out with a magical book, and I can't wait to talk about it. We've got some fun. Um, guests coming up. Did I tell you I booked Senya to be um, our acupuncturist? We're going to talk about foods. You know, I'm just giving you a little tease of what we got coming up on Best to the Nest. We're not resting on our laurels. No, laurels. (laughs) What's a laurel? I I know we don't have any. So yesterday on today, I, all right, yesterday on the show, I said that was a real kick in the craw. And then I'm trying to figure out what a craw is. I got to be careful with this stuff. I'm going to get myself in trouble. (laughs) You are going to get yourself. I was like, where's the craw? Let me know where the craw is. And why it don't, why does it hurt? Especially when you kick there. Yeah. You may have say, you may have said something really profane without even knowing it. I'm going to look it up as soon as we're done with this podcast. I'm going to get canceled or fired at some point, but at least I'll have this podcast that generates no income. (laughs) There you go. There you go. I love it. All right. If you're enjoying this podcast, like we are, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) And give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home.